This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. Beautiful. Hello, everybody. Welcome, uh, and thank you for joining us from around the world for this conversation. This is an uprising. We currently have folks joining us from uh, as far away places as Dublin, Los Angeles, Chicago, Honolulu, Chile, D.C., Kenya, Minneapolis, the, the Bay Area, I'm told, the entire Bay Area, okay, is plugged in. <laughs> Um, Puerto Rico's in the house, Vancouver, Scotland, Alabama. So we've got a lot of the world uh, plugged into this very important conversation with two people who I am thrilled to be talking with. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, my name is Karee Peterson-Smith. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, and I will be hosting today's conversation. That all said, it is my pleasure and my honor to bring in Boots Riley and No Name. Um, Boots Riley is a creative powerhouse founder and frontman of the legendary hip-hop group The Coup, uh, the creator of the incredible movie Sorry to Bother You. Um, no Name, an incredible creative person, amazing musician out of Chicago, the incredible Chicago uh, music scene, uh, who's not only an amazing musician, but also creator of the No Name Book Club, which is an online and in real life community dedicated to lifting up POC voices. Um, the club does this by highlighting two books each month written by authors of color. No Name's Book Club, you can join it at nonamebooks.com. Uh, when people are able to gather, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. people in No Names Book Club meet up at independent bookstores. No Names Book Club is hooked up with, I counted, 12 different library systems in 12 different cities, public library systems. So if your public library is not connected with a No Name Book Club, like what are they doing? Let's you know get connected. Uh, so these are these, these amazing people who we get to talk to tonight. Um, on the subject of the uprising that is currently unfolding in this country and is shooting off sparks that have caught fire all around the world. Um, and the first thing I wanted to know from the two of you is what has been the most inspiring thing so far, uh, or whether, whether something you've seen so far or something that you see coming out of this uprising, what is inspiring you about it? Um, Maybe you can set us off uh, no name. Um, I think hmm, what's inspiring. I think I'm inspired by um, a lot of things. I think I immediately want to say I'm inspired by people's um, fearlessness. Uh, I think it's, it's inspiring to see people being brave enough to go against the full weight of of the fucking US empire, um, militarized police, like people are brave enough to sacrifice their bodies in these moments. Um, that is inspiring to me. I think 
saying that there is a, a level of revolutionary potential in um, this American society right now is inspiring, even though um, I think these these uprisings won't be sustained if we don't have like um, organization and like a political education and a politic behind it. But I do think it's uh, it's important to see that we there is a collective power um, and I think there's a a rage that has a lot of potential if, you know, moved in a specific or particular direction. So I'm inspired by that. And I'm just inspired by the amount of uh, mutual aid projects that have sprung up and, and how many people have sort of took it upon themselves, whether they have done, you know, activism in the past or not to just provide. And we, we can see that there's a level of a, there's a level of solidarity that, that, can remind us that we don't necessarily need these these things coming from um, like the state, you know, like I think it's showing us that we can take care of our communities in specific ways. So that's it's we need to see that we need to see that. I think um, that's sort of like collective unity around around people's day to day material needs. Beautiful. Boots, what's inspiring you? Well, uh, one of the things is that What's going on now is at such a, a higher level than what we've seen in decades past. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, w- many of us coming up in public schools are, are, and even in universities are taught to, you know, basically worship the civil rights movement, right? We talk about, and, and th- that period of the 60s even too, like we talk about all those things that were going on then, but, um, you know, you look at the, March on Washington, uh, which was, you know, they it was actually a a tiny bit more radical than they say it was because it was a march on Washington for jobs and justice. But that was only 200,000 people. Right. Mm. And even in the early 2000s, we had millions of people on the street um, going against the Iraq war. And this is a. this is a development from from that to where you know um, we've we've got people in all of the big cities in all of the little towns. You got little towns with with uh, population ten thousand, where two thousand people can't come out for the right, Black right. Matter thing. You got um, you know little. You got towns in Ohio where the restaurant workers. Uh, don't want um, don't want to give the police discount and the restaurant workers do work stoppages mm-hmm. to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You got things things are in a place where um, everyone's uh, they know that we that they have to do something and so they're doing that part and everyone's looking for the leverage point and and um, speaking to no names uh, point about the the potential for what this that that could be mm-hmm. is when you look at, you know, other actual revolutions, you know, just like it, it, there are periods like this that have to do with people going from street actions to looking for more um, for, 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 for more substantial power plays. So, for instance, a lot of times when we hear about Cuba, we hear about, you know, okay, Fidel and Che came over on a boat and they had guns and they did all this. But 
it had moved from 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 street rebellions to a general strike. Right. You know, and some of those forces that were putting together those things weren't all revolutionary, but it moved it forward to a revolutionary position. You have that even in uh, Vietnam, you know, uh, with the revolution there. These are things that that can move things forward. Um, Another hopeful thing to me is like, and and it's only, and it's symbolic for right now, but the uh, longshoremen on the West Coast on Mm -hmm. the 19th are shutting down the ports on the West Coast in uh, solidarity with the longshoremen on the Gulf Coast. So both those coasts are going to be shut down on the 19th. And and it's a symbolic one day action. Um, but those symbols are how things start and how those messages get Thanks. across, you Thanks. know, where people are looking for, okay, in this economic system, where is our power? What, right. and, and, you know, and there are other questions that are, people are figuring out, what are we asking for? Mm-hmm. What are we, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and, and things like that. But, but just that spirit of, of, of movement of figuring all that out is, is exciting. Beautiful. So exciting. Um, do we, did you have something? No name? Oh, no, I was saying I agree. I totally Word. agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you all you all put a lot on the table. Um, so let's yeah. see, because this is, <laughs> this, it's good. You, you know, just one of the things I'm thinking about um, in anticipating our conversation, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about radical ideas and radical action. And what's the connective tissue between those two things, you know? And it strikes me that the two of you have done so much, I think, to try to make those connections, um, to have radical ideas be more and more uh, accessible to ordinary people. Um, so I would really love to talk to you more about that tonight. And and um, maybe I'll start by saying, uh you know, what Boots was just saying about things being on a higher level, mm-hmm. you know, there that for me, that's that's both in terms of the militant activity, but also it seems to me that people have been reading something. You know what I mean? Like like since since the Ferguson uprising, I feel like people have been reading, you know, um, and I see signs at the at the protests that refer to intersectional feminism, <laughs> you know, or yeah. prison abolition. Yeah. So you know, from where you all sit, I'm just curious about, I guess I'm curious about what you think has happened between, you know, the Ferguson uprising in 2014 and now, you know, you know, both of you are talking about how a bunch of different factors have come together, are coming together to make this what it is. And I'm really curious if we take a step back, like, what do you all see uh, that led up to this point? Um, I don't know. It's interesting that you say that you feel like from Ferguson, there's been, uh, like a, what, like a radicalization. Is that a word? Um, like people have become radicalized since. And I think, I think a lot of people in that moment did become radicalized, but I think, um, unfortunately because of how, you know, popular mainstream media works and functions, I feel like a lot of the radical politics that were should have been centered in that movement kind of got um, caught in like, I don't know. 
liberal propaganda. I don't know. I don't really feel that I, it's interesting because I feel like if that were the case, if things were more radical, then we wouldn't be surprised about words like abolition, words mm-hmm. like funding. And it's this constant like looping and, and trying to explain to people what this terminology means, which is totally fine. But I think maybe maybe there was a group of organizers who were deeply connected to that movement when it comes to Ferguson um, that are the people who I'm looking to now. But in terms of the general public, I don't know. I don't really think so. I half the time I'm thinking I'm not tapping in enough with the with the uh, the political resources that I'm trying to provide and, and learning and engaging um, the folks in my community, the folks who are in my family um, like, and not just my immediate family, but my, you know, my entire family, they're not all like politicized or, or, or thinking, um, radically. I think a lot of them are still watching television and getting their information and their news from those sources. So I, yeah, I feel like maybe I'm, this wasn't the right, uh, response to what you said, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I wish I did feel more like, yeah, we're, you know, we're on the right track and going where we need to be going. I'm just, I'm, and maybe I'm just trapped in Twitter also. I'm, I'm constantly just going back and forth with people explaining what I think is just humane ideas. Like, you know, people should not be like sent away and locked in cages and, and we should be abolishing these systems of, of policing, including ICE and detention centers and da da da. Like, it's um yeah I don't know sorry go ahead Boots <laughs> take it well, away I, I think you know I, I I agree that all those you know all all those uh, ideas that you just represented that are out there exist but I think you know there's just like a relational thing a, a comparative thing of what, where people were to where they are and whether it has to do with Ferguson or not. Right. Um, that, that's that's a question. But I think what what does happen uh, we, we, with things like Ferguson and, and not just Ferguson, but, uh, you know, anti-war movement or, you know, any number of anti-racist struggles is because for the last 40 or 50 years, um, people have been very anti-party, anti-organization. What has flourished are nonprofit organizations and um, and and many led by radicals with good hearts. But what this does is it sets up a, a thing where the folks who get the money set the agenda for the way, you know, the, the way the, the political campaign goes. Right. And those and that money is usually given with parameters, mm-hmm. right? And so um, and so, we've seen, and I'm not talking about just since Ferguson, but since the 70s at least, and, and yeah, where um, we have, uh, when, when, even when the, the, even when the public wants to get more radical, if it's not in line with certain organizations, agenda, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or what their mission statement is. And again, these mission statements are often created with good intention and good purpose. And some folks that might, you know, that, that were like, hey, I got out of college. I have these radical ideas. How do I get a job 
with these ideas. Right. And one place to do that instead of working at, you know, Bechtel is or Bechtel is working at, um, you know, a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And it, it poses a problem. You know, it's the same reason why while I was coming up, I wouldn't have wanted to work at a commercial jingle place. I would rather work at telemarketing or something like that, because that commercial jingle place will fuck up my music. Right. Because I'm doing, you know, I'm like, oh, I am working in music. Right. And it, it just kind of messes that up. And I think similarly, um, what we see is um, we have movements that end up um, that that end up not be, being led uh, by folks that have parameters on them. Mm-hmm. Folks that have parameters put on them and have been trained in ways of looking at things that don't have to do with building a movement that could dismantle this system. Right. Right. I think it's the I think it's the um, the concessions. I think it's the the reform that people mm-hmm. the incremental changes uh, that people kind of get hung up on and wanting to see, which I totally get. Um, it'd be nice to see those, you know, those small little victories to know that we're not just being mercilessly murdered by the state. But at the same time, if if we're not, I, I don't understand how we can ultimately dismantle any of it if we don't stick to a, to a, you know, intensely radical politic. You know what I mean? Like if we're not, if, if imperialism and colonialism is, is not centering our conversations, I just don't, I don't see it. And I feel like that's kind of where we are right now. Um, the talking heads, the people who, you know, who have the mic, the celebrities who are, um, you know, at these events and shit. No shade to anybody. Um, people got to do them. But at the same time, it it, it becomes um, it just becomes convoluted. And I don't think it I don't think it's I don't think you can call it radical at that point. Um, if it's not really challenging capitalism, if it's not even naming it, I, you know, people are not even saying that word, you know, especially the people who who ultimately like benefited from it the most. But those are the people who are sort of like leading these marches. Um, it's weird. It's hard to watch it happen. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, so what what I, I would say that, um, you know, there is often put up this idea of it's reform or revolution, but that's not historically how it's happened. There's always reform and revolution. Like how, if you're going to have a revolution, you have to get people involved in fighting. Like you can't win them over and then they fight. Cause by the time you do all the winning them over and they read all the books they're supposed to read and stuff, then they, their life is a certain way. So you got to like, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. So you got to get people involved in a fight and show people how to win. Like, how can you win? And in in order to do that, and that's kind of, and, and without, I mean, there's a theory to that, but there's also just historical evidence from, you know, whether it's Soviet Union, China, uh, Cuba, Vietnam, all these places that whatever people's thought are and what happened after the revolution, they were able to make a revolution. They were able to go from community organizing right. to get millions of people involved mm. in fighting. 
But don't you so, think like yeah, like yeah. a radical politic was at the center of that organizing though? Well, I'm I'm not I'm not against. I do, but but okay, go ahead. Oh no no no, go ahead. I mean, I I just I I understand that reform is uh you know a necessary process on the road to. You know, uh, revolution. I don't think we're just going to wake up tomorrow, take our guns without any sort of incremental, you know, changes. Uh, that's just completely unrealistic. But I think if if our if our framing and our thinking about um, reform is based in uh, damn near like a capitalist, like we just need to get these, we just need them not to kill us yeah. in front of us. Yeah. Like right. if if it's not centered in a revolutionary radical. Uh, you know, idea and total shift. I don't think people, when they're making these reforms, they're truly centered in the idea of a real revolution. I think they're thinking we just need to not get murdered, yeah. um, but the I, society as it functions can stay can stay the same. You know. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those sentiments. I I, I would say the question comes in um, what that actually means. On, a, on the ground on a day-to-day basis. Like mm-hmm. there are people that are like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going out today to fight. I'm, I don't know about, you know, <laughs> whether I'm already sold on revolution or not, but this is what I'm one to. And do right. we say, you don't got it right, right then. Or do we say, okay, cool. Let's I say pull up to that. book club. That's what I say. I say, uh, hey, pull up on me. Pull up to book club. Yeah, and let's and, so, and let's have conversation in tandem yeah. with with going out to to uh, marches and protests and sit in and whatever else we do with our physical bodies to resist. But yeah, I say let's sit in a circle and read these books together. That's yeah. what I always say. I I agree with that. And I, I would just I say that, 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 that. I, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Maybe we should let him moderate because we're just going to keep doing that. I mean, this is this is gold. So, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I don't want to interfere, but I, I, I don't know. I so, I so feel what, what both of you are saying. First of all, first of first of many things, you know, I really appreciate, actually, that you've put on the table um, the many obstacles that keep us from tend to keep us from going as far. I think as we're going right now, you know what I mean? Like, like, so, you know, we, we know that the police are against us. We know that all they have for us is violence. You know, we're seeing that, but it's not just the brute force of the state. You know, we're taught, we're, we're, we're dealing with, you know, how has uh, activism been organized for the past years and decades? That's something that we have to grapple with. Mm -hmm. What are the ideas that people have? Uh, going into the streets, uh, you, you know, I think that's really important because in this country, you know, I think in a particular way, and especially if you're people of color, our history, our radical history is stolen from us. You know what I mean? Like there are countries where people know that what working people and oppressed people have, they have because they fought and they won it. And that's something that is denied us. So I think there's so much that we have to kind of rediscover and and, and uncover. So I yeah. feel, you know, I, I really appreciate that you all are putting those things on the table. And one of the things I wanted to circle back to is this this process of of radicalization, because like like I've been fascinated, for example, by, you know, all across the country, there are places where, you know, protesters are asking police to kneel with us. Right. 
Um, it's this kind of like appeal to, can you connect with us? Right. Um, it's, it's not a, um, I mean, there's something radical about that, but it's not, it's not revolutionary in the sense that it, it's not saying this, the police are my enemy. It's, it's saying, can we be friends? Right. right. And, you know, I've seen I've seen images shared on social media of like, look at the police kneeling with us. And then people comment underneath. Yeah, those same police were tear gassing us 45 minutes later. Right. That radicalizes you. Right. Like like, however, you know, the way what, what people the ideas people left the house with in the morning, I think they came back, you know, yeah. uh, with yeah. some different ideas. So um, but I, I really I wanted to. um to, to go back to what um, what Boots was saying about the nonprofit industrial complex too, because it, and, I, and I share the sentiment that you know of course there are people involved in the nonprofit world for the best reasons. Of course, there's amazing you know urgent work being done by all kinds of um, excellent organizations. But I do think that m- many of us have become used to these campaigns that are very kind of crafted and you know, events that are scripted and, you know, the meeting with the powers that be behind closed doors. There's a certain way of doing things, right, that 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 they've been done. And I think this is so disruptive. I think that's what's so power. That's why I love the title of this thing. This is an uprising because people are like, yo, we're going to we're going to burn some. Th- you, you know what I mean? Like, we're we're going to shake some things up. Yeah. And the truth is. It's working. Do you know what I mean? Like those cops got charged. <laughs> um, you know, in Seattle, they seized part of the city and they are in control of it now. So, yeah. Didn't they disband the police in, in Minneapolis? Were the talking police- about it? Yeah. I mean, that's like the fact that that's even a conversation piece. Like that's something that's actually like, you know, people are, are critically thinking about these things in, in terms of realistic structural changes in in particular cities that's revolutionary that's dope but um yeah it's it's like you said when it comes to that's a great example when it comes to people kneeling with the cops and taking photos with the cops and um stuff like that i think comes from not having a full understanding of police as agents of the state and protecting particular interest property and whatnot you know and that, and I think that's a great example right there, um, showing what you're talking about about uh, you know about analysis. Where's where are folks' analysis in where they stand versus where the police stands, and that's when you know um, just to put another you know music analogy out there. There used to be a time you know everybody talks about. Oakland hip hop and there's all these legends and all this kind of shit. But there was a time before that when it was very fledgling, where we had to rent out restaurants and shit like that to mm-hmm. perform because there was no venues and stuff like that. And where people were starting to come, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, during that time, um, sometimes people wouldn't be getting the crowd hyped. Right. And, you know, there'd be all these shows where there's all these performers, somebody be like, Man, the crowd is dead. And just because I had been an organizer before that point in my life, I understood that if the crowd was dead, it's my fault. Right. 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 I haven't figured out what it is to communicate to that crowd 
to get them on the wavelength that I am. I haven't figured out how to adjust what I'm doing and all that. So going from that standpoint, all uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of what I think that organizing is, is taking people through an experience mm-hmm. that teaches them something. Right. Because, yeah, you can have the book club and you can that works for some folks. But sometimes, you know, you might read something. You don't get it until you've gone through it. It's just like that song you heard on the radio that you hated. But then you hear it at the club and you're like, oh, shit, I really never heard it in this way. Right. Mm -hmm. And because it's in the right context and you've gone through it. So. Often what organizers are trying to do is take a group of people through an experience that that shows a lesson. And I kind of carry that over to my my art. And I think that there are certain kinds of campaigns that the left, that the radical left has stayed away from because they're not as glamorous Mm. that would be teaching these analyses without um, without just having to be like, here are the rules. This person is on that side. That person is on this side. This That will get to a lot of people. But there are some people that have to be like, you know, fuck, we was on strike and the boss was in the wrong and the police came out on their side to realize what the function of the police is. That's one of the things. But so I believe that people's misunderstanding of that, of of the police, has to do obviously with the media, things like that, the fact that we're born watching cop shows and shit like that, where they're the heroes. So um, that's part of it. But then on the other side of it, us not getting that narrative across, uh, the the other narrative across has to do with um, the call outs that we've done, the the campaigns like You know, um, which this is a development. People saying, let's talk about the whole function of the police and do we need them? But up until now, it's been get rid of this murderous cop, get rid of that murderous cop. And the police have been, you know, and 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 often the the cities that support them have been um, good at like guiding us like so Oakland. Oakland, like like 20 years ago, had this case called the Oakland Riders. They called it the Oakland Riders. These cops were going around just putting coke on people and, and putting them to jail over and over. And some rookie cop called them out on it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Jerry Brown, who was supposed to be the liberal mayor, like said, oh, it's not all cops. It's just this group of folks. Let's call them the Oakland Riders. But it was the whole Oakland Police Department doing it, right? Right. And so everybody took that, like, let's get rid of the riders. Let's get rid of the Oakland riders, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And so we've done that. We've like made it, made our campaigns be about these things. And partially it's because those are things we can ca- handle. Maybe we can get this cop fired. Maybe we can get this one cop put in jail. But some of that, the the so some of that confusion from folks has to do with that and has to do with us needing to engage in campaigns that not only win, but teach how to fight when winning and teach who's on, you know, who they're fighting. But uh, 
anyway. Beautiful. Uh, beautiful. I have, um, I've got some amazing questions coming in here that I would love to, to get to uh, for, for both of you. Um, but first, before I forget, um, one question is, I'm curious, uh, you know, we're talking about ideas. Um, I'm curious about what, if you all are reading anything, you know, any books, um, either at the moment or a go-to that you recommend for folks to check out. I'll let you go. Man, I'm just reading scripts right now. I'm not really, <laughs> I haven't, um, you know, yeah. I'm, uh, books about what though? Like that's the big question. Yeah, I guess, you know, if there, are, if there are books that are kind of speaking to you in this moment or that you recommend, you know, that's cool. If not, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it'll come to me as we're talking more. Cool. We'll get to your scripts, by the way. We're going to I got there's a bunch of questions about about what creative work um, looks like in this time. So for both of you. So we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, I I'm not I was reading a Blood in My Eye by Joyce Jackson because okay. that's our, our June pick um, kind of took a break from reading, to be honest. I do recommend that book. I love that book. Um, I've more so just been watching a bunch of videos trying to understand uh, what racial capitalism is. And mm. I haven't been able to um, to fully get into black Marxism. It's a uh, mm-hmm. it's so dense and it's I'm not smart enough <laughs> but i've been reading a lot of uh, not reading but watching a lot of lectures breaking down the material in that book so that's where i've been been at um speaking of someone that uses that term uh robin dg kelly has a lot of yeah that's mainly who i've been watching yeah <laughs> yeah shout out robin kelly i got i mean i just gotta say you know no name's brilliant that book, that book, Black Marxism is intimidating, um, but it's uh, so dense. But we will all we will all challenge ourselves. Um, <laughs> so so let me let me if it's OK, you know, there's a number of questions about um, about your artistic practices. Um, and if we can switch gears a little bit, you know, I think we'll, we'll probably circle back to the uprising unfolding. But um, there's a bunch of questions about about the creative work that you all do. And so um uh, and I hope I get folks' names right. Um, as somebody whose name is always messed up, uh, Kari is how you pronounce it. It's okay. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I'm. Telling, I'm just. I'm just taking this opportunity to tell the whole world. Um, it's Kari. Okay. So, so Kayla Donnell um, asks, how do you all find the resources and motivation to create radical experimental black art in a white artistic bubble? Mm. And then maybe a similar question that I'm, I'm going to add. Um, Manny Hernandez asks, can you give some advice to people working in a capitalist entertainment industry uh, that are trying to make radical anti-capitalist content? You want to go ahead? You go first. Um, I don't I don't think any of my art prior to maybe the last song that I released was really radical. I think a lot of my, a lot of my art, because I wasn't radicalized until after I had released my first two projects. Um, and I think a lot of my art is pro-black. I think my, a lot of, a lot of my art is very, very pro-black and it's very based in, um, telling my, 
personal experiences uh, with black plight and black trauma, um, I wouldn't say that it's radical. Like I wouldn't say that it's because for me, radical means like calling out specific systems mm-hmm. um, and, and being anti-imperialist and, and connecting um the black American struggle to black struggles globally um, and to be a part of those resistance movements as well. And this in my art never, ever touched any of that. Um, So I can't really say I know how to, to make radical art in this, in this moment. I know that I'm not making any art because I've just been, to be quite honest, depressed the past two weeks. Mm. Um, I have not created. I've just been, tucked away in my apartment. Um, I would love to create though. I really would. I don't even know if I I would be in a place to just be making a bunch of political content though, because I, I would almost take music as a moment to escape for a second. I'm sure I would. Cause mm. naturally my shit is always just like, Ugh. but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I haven't been doing shit. I suck. <laughs> what you you said you got radicalized after you were already making music. What what was that? What what made that happen? Um, I the internet called me out. I was um I was one of those like I, you know, was romanticizing Black Wall Street and Tulsa and was like, you know, capitalism. I think the tweet was like capitalism isn't evil, evil capitalists are evil. Capitalism is a tool. And I think for one, I didn't understand what capitalism was fully. And I also was coming off the experience of like supporting my family off of having money. So for me, I was like, well, this is, you know, I'm looking at Nipsey and I'm looking at all these other people who are, who are preaching black entrepreneurship. And I'm like, hell yeah, I can fucking, I can get a bunch of money, take that shit right back to my neighborhood and and we can build from the ground up and we can build wealth in our communities. And this this will be the you know, our answer to um, the social issues that really capitalism and white supremacy have have created. Uh, and yeah, the Internet basically destroyed me <laughs> for Twitter specifically. Uh, and that's kind of what led me on the journey of, of reading. Like I literally only started the book club because I was publicly learning and I knew that I wasn't the only person who did not know what the shit meant. Cause there were people under that comment, like, hell yeah, that's exactly what we need to be doing. So I'm like, okay, well let's make this a learning experience for like all of us who are, who are confused. Cause, um, and I was reading, like I started off with like pedagogy of the oppressed and a bunch of other shit. And I'm like, I kind of wanted to just have a space where I could have a community to help me through the ideas. Cause I didn't have a, a professor or, you know, I haven't gone to college or anything. So, um, yeah, that was long winded, but yeah. Uh, along with that same thing, you know, I joined a revolutionary party when I was 14. And so I was gung ho and reading like quote unquote, reading everything. Like right. whether I was understanding it or not is a whole different thing. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, um, we had reading groups and study groups and all that kind of stuff. But I realized it wasn't until later when I got involved in in actual uh, campaigns and things where I was trying to get people to do things that then the ideas clicked 
for me, you know, and I don't think that's how everyone learns. But, you know, there's the, the you know, there is um, a thing where, um, you know, there's theory and practice. And and there's this new word that was created in the last bunch of decades called praxis, which right. which really you can't have theory without practice and you can't have practice without theory. So it's really a way for academics to say, well, right now I'm doing my theory and I'll later I'll do my praxis or whatever, because the truth is, you know, if I'm sitting here at my desk developing theory and not out being part of things, then my theory is going to be influenced by me sitting here at my desk. Right. And same way as my practice is going to be influenced by by that sort of thing. So I think what you're talking about that that trying to understand is just a, the natural way that we all develop, which is like these theories start. We start being able to divine out what works and what doesn't when we're in struggle. You know, when we're, you know, you see a lot of organizations splitting up at times when not much is going on mm-hmm. over theoretical questions. Mm-hmm. And usually when not much is going on, because, you know, it's so focused on on theory. the theory as opposed to which theory works. Right. Apply in the real world with real people. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. not that it doesn't all, you know, there's there's exceptions to that. But, you know, yeah, that that so um, uh, often. Uh, yeah. We, and, and right now is an interesting time because going to what uh, Karee was talking about, uh, be, asking about before about, you know, the development and the place that we're at, like, you know, when 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 I was a teenager, and I started saying that I'm a communist, like for most people, you know, in the black community, it was never there was never a bunch of anti-communism. People would just be like, OK, that's cool. What does that mean about me getting paid? Whatever. I don't you know, what I'm saying they'd be like, what is that? What does that have to do with me? You know, that sort of a thing. Um, but it definitely wasn't there wasn't a, a big movement happening and people either didn't know what the word socialism meant or any, or, or, you know, any number of things like that. But you get to a time when all these polls say 51% of millennials uh, would rather have socialism. And even if you go to the, I don't know what they call the generation after millennials, but that's even bigger, whatever. (laughs) And, um, and, um, you know, and 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 it and it has something to do with all these campaigns that have been going on and all that kind of stuff. But it also there's an element of it where people are getting it from the internet and they're just on the internet arguing with each other. They've read maybe more, you know, than I have or whatever, and they're arguing over what Lenin said in this one letter to somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know, in this and that. And it becomes because we're, it's stuck on the internet, right? It becomes almost like these writings are the Bible, right? And you, you, you know, and 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 that's how you divine it out, as opposed to, and and so you know some of the, but, and I'm saying that while while it's very inspiring that you got all these like teenagers and stuff like that now. 
being like, I'm ready. This is what I'm, I'm in for. This is what I'm doing. Um, that that's the other side of it is like, it has to get out into the real world. They have to get involved in trying to make those ideas happen and, and see what works out of it and what, what doesn't. And, um, but yeah. So yeah. what about you? What about your, your art? What is your, your radical process? Wasn't that the question? Like the, um, how are you radically? Yeah. You know, you know, in a white artistic bubble. Is that white. what imperialist fucking well settler colonial yeah i mean you can only speak from where where you are that's all you're ever doing mm-hmm. right that's all you're ever doing and um a qu- you know so there's there's the question of what you believe and then there's a question of who you're communicating to right and um trying to figure that out right like and and then, you know, some of that comes with an assessment, right? So, for instance, um, uh, there there's this authenticity argument that comes, like, what art is real Black art? What art is this? What art is representative? And some of that um, is more theoretical, like, where do these ideas come from? And it's, and that's not the part that I'm talking about. But some of it is like, Okay, this rapper is real, is really uh, for black folks because black folks listen to this rapper and this blah, 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 this, you know, and there's always this discussion. It comes up all the time. But the truth is, whatever you're selling in the United States, most of your market is white kids. Facts. Right. This is yeah, this is this is why I quit rapping. Yeah. You you could be selling Nike's, you could be selling t-shirts, you could be selling bean pies. Right? <laughs> if you sell a certain amount of them, your market is white kids, right? Even bean pies? Well, I'm saying if you sell a certain amount. <laughs> like right, quantity right. that you're that you're moving, the amount yeah. of products. And, and that's just because that's the demographic of the United States. And this is true for you know, musically, Jay-Z, most of his artists, white kids. Beyonce, most of their art, the, the, you, uh, white kids. The difference is comes in the marketing hmm. because the smart record labels know to market your stuff to white kids as if white kids don't listen to it, right? We've seen this in the past. We've seen this, uh, I'll say this, for instance, I think I actually think Eminem is a technically good rapper, but I saw what happened along the way, which was Interscope thought, okay, white kids aren't going to buy a white rapper, right? And we think maybe black kids won't either. We know there's a, a large group of white kids that buy what they think black folks buy. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there's not something wrong with that. People are like, what? Everybody's trying to figure out what's real. What's hmm. what? Authentic. Yeah. And not even just authentic to black people, but in this world where we've got this exploitive system and everything, like what's some art that's heartfelt and talking the truth. So you're going to look 
to the group of folks that you see as most oppressed and be like, what are they talking about? And it's happened in every culture, right? Matter of fact, KRS-One put out an album called Blueprint, which was speaking to that specific idea, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the, uh, but the, the, the point is, is that with that situation, Interscope had already signed Eminem. We hear all the stories about Dr. Dre discovering Eminem. Eminem was already signed to Interscope. They were like, how are we going to sell this dude? And they made a deal with Dr. Dre because his co-sign, it wasn't really about his co-sign getting black folks to buy it, but his co-sign told white kids that this is what black folks will buy. Right. Right. And, and so the whole idea, uh, and there's, there's this record, I mean, not this record, this book called Sweet Soul Music by uh, Peter Goralnik. And it's about Stax Records, right? And more, it's about how in the 60s, like it was known that Motown was about like selling black culture to white kids. Like they had smoothed everything out. They had changed certain core things. They changed the way people, they had a class for how you stand so you don't seem, you know, threatening and all that kind of stuff, right? This was like common knowledge. So um, this this author talks about, well, you know, in his, in Boston, they were like, well, we know that that's the black music for white people, right? But we want the real stuff. So let's listen to Stax Records, Otis Redding, Isaac Hayes, um, you know, uh, 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 who else? The Bar Kays, all these folks, um, Booker T, the MGs and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, look, this is real black music and we want to support that. We want to support because it was Stax Records was thought of as a little bit more rough and more funky and this and that. And um, so this book is him interviewing all those people that are the musicians, the singers, the producers, the record label owners. And they all unequivocally said, what are you talking about? We were trying to sell music to white kids because we want to make we wanted to have a hit record. We want to make money because we're broke and that's the market. That's what the market is. And so, and that, that, that was engineered toward that. So this idea that there's some sort of authenticity that's separated from your material conditions of how you now let's talk about Stax Records and Motown. Stax Records more than Motown Records is like the foundation of all these samples that is, ended up being hip hop in the 90s and sure. stuff like that. It itself being, you know, coming from these things. So there's this this myth that you can somehow separate the art you create from the material conditions of the world. And it's not true. And actually, and 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 then there becomes this authentic this authenticity argument about what's the real black music. So, for instance, with the coup, if you listen to our first couple uh, albums, we were a very local group, like hadn't traveled that much or whatever, you know. 
And now if you listen to it, you won't notice it. But a lot of the words that we were using back then had not traveled out of the Bay Area. So a lot of what we were saying, we're, we're using slangs and, 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 and stuff like that, that people just didn't, even black folks in other areas didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like one reviewer tried to say that I created a word called finna, right? Wow. And, and, <laughs> and it definitely, I didn't, definitely did not create it. And I was like, what is going on? But so music that didn't do that and that could get to certain reviewers in a different way was thought of, you know, like more authentic because it was speaking a language that like we were thought of as apolitical on our first album because our stuff didn't sound like the bomb squad, right? The bomb squad was public enemies producer and all that kind of stuff. And they had this sort of chaos sound to them. And we were making music that we thought people would bump. It was real slow. Our first album was very slow, like so that people could bump it in their car or whatever. But people weren't used to that. So they called it, you know, they they called they did a review of our first song, Not Yet Free, which was saying it's more gangster rap from Oakland, right? The point is, is that this just even bolstering this 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 discussion more. There's a uh, interview, 1976. Boots, I okay. I'm 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 digging it. You know what I mean? And it's like a whole like people's history of you know what I mean, like black music. Um, And I'm also like aware of time. Okay. But cool. you were I, so after uh, let me up, wrap this up. Like George, circle back to something. George Clinton, who said that there, who we know as Parliament Funkadelic, being the epitome of black music. Hmm. In 1976, he's complaining because he's saying that he's saying before this hit record they had right then, everybody was saying their music was white music. Right. Right. And he huh. threw out this thing, which was at the same time in the same interview talking about Teddy Pendergrass, who is another thing that people claim as the epitome of, of, of black music. And he talks about in that, George Clinton talks about in that interview, then that all of that music is really, is really just white pop music from the fifties with a black person singing on it. And he points out all the chord changes and all that. And you know, so the point is, is that you just make art from where you are mm. and with what you have. And if you feel it and if you're being honest with yourself, you feel it and somebody else is going to feel it. And, mm. and, 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 and 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 you make adjustments like, is my audience feeling this or whatever? You know, that's that's something that you do. But. You have to just make it from an honest place, and that's all you can do. Yeah, that's actually. I mean, there's there's so much on the table, but I really appreciate that um, that takeaway. And also, <laughs> I I hope we can all have more conversation in the future about you know the history and the direction of um, of art and music. I wanted to circle back though to something. Um, both of you did and no name started, which, and just really recognize, um, a gift that you gave us because what, what happened was, you know, we started out this conversation by talking about, you know, for people who are revolutionaries, 
what do we see as unfolding right now, both in terms of what's inspiring, but also in terms of how we're going to go further, right? And then what you what you did, you know, no name, like you you switched at one point to actually narrating your own experience of how you got radicalized. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really important because, you know, once once you're like once we become radical, and this is, you know, I love all of my radical comrades, you know, yeah. but it's actually not hard to like pontificate on the internet. You, you know what I mean? About, about like <laughs> radical, right. it's much more challenging to think, how do these radical ideas actually move people? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really, I, I, I think it's really helpful because because it, it, it's complicated. It's complicated. And I wonder if you can you know, you started to speak about why you created this book club. And I wonder if you could talk more about um, your hopes for it, your your ambitions for it. Um, My ambitions for book club. I mean, I, you know, we're we're in 12 cities right now. We have one chapter, um, one international chapter in London. So I think it's hard. It's hard because we're in we're in the middle of a. Uh, or maybe not the middle anymore. I guess we're coming towards the end of a pandemic. Um, so we haven't been able to have our typical meetups. And I think that's sort of the the bread and butter of, of what it is that we do. Um, we do have like our vir- virtual meetings, but I think what was powerful and really impactful was building community around um, just ideas and things that we were reading. So if I can continue to expand upon that, that would be dope. But I think for me, it's uh, uh, I struggle with thinking that I'm doing enough. I think that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. And now that I'm, I'm, you know, working more in like in like an organizing context, it, there's sometimes it's it's you know it's the battle between understanding and really feeling deeply the importance of political education because it's ultimately i mean it's like it's completely changed my life to just mm-hmm. to have context you know i think being born black or being born in any sort of marginalized community uh you have an inherent understanding of of like the violence against you as just a person walking in the world who is different, um, whether that's, you know, you are black or you are trans or whatever it is. Um, there's like this, this like deep knowing that the state does not fuck with you, whether you have the, like the, the political language around it or not. Um, and I think that, I don't know, I feel like to have that, but then on top of that, to have a vocabulary and, and, you know, a history that you get from books, especially when you were kind of talking about really digging into and knowing the history of like other revolutions that have happened and knowing that this is a continual struggle. Um, that shit is, is mad important, but also people need food. (laughs) Like as much as I'm, you know what I mean? It's like, it's always this battle of like, I really do believe that shit is life-changing. Like political education is like my favorite shit. But what is a bunch of books going to do for the niggas in my fucking neighborhood right now? You know, so like I think that's always been my battle. And I never really feel I feel like if I'm not if I am, if my work is not primarily in in the practice of of like praxis, you know, the theory and practice then I'm not tapping in. And all the all the organizers who I engage with on a day to day basis, they 
um, are either, you know, organizers or they do organizing work specifically for um, PIC abolition, prison industrial complex abolition. And they're like on the ground, in the community, day to day, you know, engaging with the people and shit. So I think until I'm doing that, until I'm fully tapped in with my community, um, I don't feel like my my politic is as radical or that book club is as, you know, you know, oh, great. A book club. Uh, I, I personally won't feel like we're tapping in until I'm making some of those some of those changes. I don't know. I, a lot of ideas. I don't know if I was able to weave them together, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's really I feel like it's it, it, no, I, I, I feel I get it. And it, it actually it's like, yeah. yeah, no, I'm just like, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if that made any sense. I think so. And I feel like it actually it feels really resonant. I, you know, at, when you when you said, like, I feel like I don't you know, you, you were like I'm involved and yet it feels like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I've heard that. I feel like I've heard that for the past two weeks <laughs> from friends and comrades, you know, um, and and yet, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I think that people are are tremendously inspired. Like th- those of us who recognize the importance of radical ideas are really inspired by book club, you know, and so I I really. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say for myself, I've I've come into an understanding that you know, our movement, our struggle needs so many things and it's not going to be just one thing. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole ecosystem. It's a whole, um, convergence, a whole constellation of elements. And, you know, we're, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. And I was wondering, actually, I I wanted to ask both of you, when you think about, you know, where our struggle is now and where we need to, to go, I'm curious what you think, what elements you think we really need, you know? Um, And it doesn't mean that, you know, in this call, we have to identify the sum total. (laughs) What do, what do we need to do right now? What precisely do we, but, but I'm so curious for, for people, as people who think about this a lot, you know, and who, who um, dedicate yourselves to this. I'm curious about that. And and I will say so many, I I won't, um, you know, we're we're kind of nearing the end of time, so I won't go through individually, but a lot of the questions spoke to that of like, you know, I'm a radical, I don't know how to move this. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm curious for for the two of you. Yeah. What do you think we need more of? What do you think we need to build and grow? Can I go first just to get it? Because it's like, um, I think... uh, I I want to kind of just speak in terms of um, the we that is the black community, because I know there is a larger class struggle that's happening right now. Um, like, I think. COVID and seeing how the government has responded to that crisis has allowed um, a lot of people to build sort of class solidarity because the government is saying, fuck you to everybody. Um, so that's dope. But in this particular moment, I do want to speak in terms of um, the black community and and what I would love to see kind of happen there. Um, I think it's it's cool and it's dope and it's and it's mad crucial to have continuous conversations about um, like 
naming certain things like naming colonialism, naming capitalism, breaking those things down, making those things uh, center focal points. But there's also so much um, misogyny mm. and violence. And I can't speak to having any sort of a, a continued revolution when um, Black women, Black trans women, uh, queer people, people who identify as femme are being murdered by our community. A little girl just died, like 19 years old, for no fucking reason other than continual massage noir and, and patriarchal bullshit. So like, for me, it's like, I even answering this call, I was like, I don't even really know <laughs> how I'm feeling to even have this conversation because half of it is like, as much as I, I, I do feel a, you know, a revolutionary spirit and I, I want to fight and I want to be well-read and radical and in the streets for us at the same time, I almost don't care anymore because mm. we are never protected. So that's a conversation that I would love to see being, um, has simultaneously, like when we're talking, we can talk about racial capitalism, but we also have to talk about the fact that there is a segment of the black community that is incredibly vulnerable. Mm. Um, specifically trans black women are mm. dying at higher rates than all of us. And they are the most marginalized and the least protected. So if I were to see any level of, um, of real conversation of real growth, I would love to see black men stepping up and instead of just, you know, being anti establishment, um, I would love to see a moment of like anti-patriarchal energy coming mm. from us, which I don't think I'll ever even see. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's just where my heart is right now. Um, it's hard to fight for people who do not give a fuck about you. So, mm. yeah, sorry. That was a bit. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. I mean, I think that's really critical. Yeah, that's what I would like to see, because um, the general revolution is like, how are we going to do that if right. there is unaddressed harm in our own communities? What type of world are we rebuilding if we're not tearing down patriarchy and like in, in heteronormative violence? You know what I mean? Like violence against specific groups based off of off of like heteronormative ideas and shit. Like I even me, I had to check my own transphobia and I didn't even realize I had this shit. Like in this, you know, when I was getting radicalized, just thinking about how we socialize, like how in our communities we've been socialized. Um, and if we're going to work hard to dismantle white supremacy and we're going to constantly name that, I just want to see black men stepping the fuck up. Like, and I hate to pin it on y'all. Like I really do. But at a certain point, it's like, I don't see killer Mike holding press conferences about black trans women and black girls who are going missing and being murdered. You know, I don't see TI or any of our black representatives, mm. Obama included really having these, these conversations. So whatever sort of continuation we have in a liberation struggle, if that's not addressed, it, I, and I want to be like, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm not going to fight, but I obviously I'm black and I love us so much that I, I will, but I feel like that's just what black women do all the time. You know, like, just keep going for y'all and y'all are just never there. And this is not y'all like you two, obviously. <laughs> Fuck with you guys. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm what? off just ranting at this point. Not at all. I mean, I, I I just feel like I mean, I'll just like if we're not talking about and doing the things that you're talking about, then like what are we doing? Yeah. Facts. Facts. What, what, what is this for? Literally. And, 
And I, I would like to say that um, I think that the hope in making that that the fight happen, that your the fight against uh, patriarchy happen, is is in this is is making sure people are in struggle. So the idea, that, you know, um, try to make this quick. Uh, you know, one thing that happened that, that when we did this, when I went and observed this Watsonville cannery workers strike, it was uh, it was Mexican workers, Portuguese workers and Filipino workers. And they had had this long history of fighting each other, like big battles and fights and stuff, just the community. Right. And one went on strike. And the other ones wouldn't and this and that. And it went back. And then all of a sudden you had this time when when people had said, said uh, this is in the 80s, like, OK, we're going to strike together. And only then were they like, well, we got to figure this out. You know what I'm saying? We because I believe in with, you know, and because they were like, in order to win, we have to stop fighting each other. Right now, the. The thing is, is that I believe a lot of people don't think we can win anyway. Mm. So they, 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 I don't think anybody thinks of that consciously, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, how do you get, how do you give somebody the reasoning to fight patriarchy? I'm just talking about somebody who doesn't care about it at all. I think part of it is calling it out, but part of it is them having this seeing that there's a benefit in the in in fighting for that part of the community that's not protected right and and you only get that when people are involved in in a struggle you only even not that it always happens you know cuz it doesn't mm -hmm. but you have to have the, the you have to have people involved in the in the first part which is like look we can't win if it, you know, there's the one part that this is morally wrong and this is, you know, that, that this is reprehensible. But how do you get people to take it as this is something we need to have a campaign about? This is something we need to do. And I think that comes from people, all people being, you know, seeing there being an ability and a, and a need for this revolutionary change. Um, don't you so, think that you also comes from like from uh, from culture, from from the dominant narratives of culture, from from the the lyrics and music, the images on television? Don't you think if we're not if if we're not creating a, a cultural shift away from from violence against people who identify as femme, then it's I don't I mean, I think, you know, obviously revolution can happen from the ground up, but I think a lot of these ideas came from the top down anyways. Yeah, so yeah. why? Why? Not that I don't know. I don't want to be like I don't want to just pin it on us needing leadership. But I know that there's. There's men who are literally going to all of these protests who are technically in the struggle, who still have the same misogynoir and patriarchy that they have not dismantled because they're going out to fight for because they're protesting about Black Lives Mattering, but they're really out there for George Floyd. Like they really are, are specifically out there for a particular Black identity mm. that they've seen stripped and they, and they, you know, they want whatever sort of catharsis or whatever in that moment. I don't think it's coming from a, a collective idea of um, true Black solidarity and real like 
black revolutionary action. Cause I, for me, like that's everybody, that's mm-hmm. the table folks. That's, that's anybody who is on the spectrum. If you are like, and when I say the spectrum, I shouldn't use that word, but like anybody who is black existing in different variations of whatever that could look like, they should be coming with us. And yeah. I, I don't know. And, and so that, that's are leading these organizations who still have patriarchy and misogyny. Well, I can't say that, you know, being attached to the struggle is about to get you, you know, uh, un unlearning and and untethering yourself to these fucking ideas. No, right. I don't think so either. But right. I, I'm saying like the argument against patriarchy is one that is founded on on certain ideas, and those ideas are not are 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 revolutionary ideas, actually. Right? Like people have like if you're won over to the this sort of doggy dog mentality of capitalism, mm-hmm. you're not about, if I'm one over, you're not about to have an argument with me that, that I'm going to even care about that stuff. Right. And that doesn't mean that because I'm, you know, a revolutionary that now I care about patriarchy and sexism. No, but that means that now there, that, that if somebody's there, all I'm saying, if they're there, you have the basis to struggle with them on, you know, and that just means we struggle with them, but the question is just like we, the struggle has to happen now. But it doesn't mean like don't. I don't think you were saying this of yourself. You know that doesn't mean don't be involved in the struggle. That means be involved in the struggle and struggle with them around patriarchy and not just you. <laughs> not just you struggle with them, but there has to be a struggle involved in that. But I would also I, I, like I, I, to say this that. That there is, um, and because we're talking specifically about black folks, and I just want to say this, that often, um, and just because this is a public forum, um, often there's this, and I just want to say, there's this conception that black men are more sexist than white men. Oh, I'm not saying and, that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and I want to, I want to, you know, there's all sorts of stats that, that prove that. So that's all I, but so, uh, and so the reason that we're talking about that is because. But I do know that women are murdered uh, more predominantly by black men than any other category. I'm not saying black men are the most sexist, but I'm saying right. that they are targeting trans women more than any other male existing in this country right now. Like mm-hmm. that's the statistics. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, I don't know that, but, but, but yeah, thank you for telling me that. Um, black trans women are likely to get murdered in their neighborhoods and violated in their communities as mm-hmm. opposed to like some, you know, fucking Ku, Ku Klux Klan member coming yeah. and murdering them. It's, it's us. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so, and I, I, can I just say, like, I appreciate too, like, because it's, I mean, I think that everybody, you know, everybody should figure out where you fit in in this struggle and be active. Absolutely. But what no name, you know, it's also like those of us who are in the struggle, what are we doing to compel? <laughs> you know what I mean? Black women and trans women and trans yeah. folks and like queer folks, like what are we doing to make, to, to make, make it, it safe, that, to make like, a- their liberations at the center? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's on us. And I think that that definitely has to be done. And so I um, I was just trying to say that someone doesn't have to get out of 
the struggle. Like no name was saying, like but you know, I know it was. No, just, I, know, like, I know, I know. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. that I want to get out. It's just it's hard to fight for a group of people who don't give a fuck about me or see my yeah. value behind a you know a, a sexual yeah. object. Like it, you know, it's hard to fight when they're literally murdering people who look exactly like me. Like right. Toyan literally could have been my little sister. She was 19 years old. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about girls. (laughs) So, so so then the question becomes if, if the project is larger social change, you spoke to culture, like it coming down. And um, I have a thing that I like to say um, that is fishing villages create fishing songs. Right. Culture is known uh, from everybody from revolutionaries to uh, sociologists to anthropologists as culture is something that comes from that is created in order for us that, that is created and comes from the way that we survive. So if you're a fishing village, you're going to be singing fishing songs and you want people to stop singing those fishing songs, you can Teach them an agricultural song. Teach them an agriculture. They might like the tune. They might blah, blah, blah. But one, they're not going to stop fishing. Two, they're going to start changing the melodies of those agricultural songs to being about fishing. Right. What culture doesn't like come out of thin air. Like these things are created from from very material things. So it's it's a struggle that if, if we're talking about changing the culture we have to change those material things at the same time because it's it's not we're not going to just all of a sudden have a non a a a, a, a non patriarchal culture without having a society that's non patriarchal and that's all intertwined into the material uh ways that we live so it, it's all it, it's not like you do one struggle before the other you can't separate uh you there there is it, you know, it, it's intrinsically tied racism, patriarchy and capitalism. They mm-hmm. all are need each other. Mm-hmm. And, in or, you know, like and, and you end up seeing like you see uh, cultural producers, you know, that kind of get involved in stuff and they want to s- start saying things and they come from a good. But they don't you know, their whole life has been geared toward a certain thing. So it ends up being. Um, you know, like, oh, why'd you say that? You know, they're trying to figure it out, but it's not going to happen. We're not, we'll create the artists that we need when we have, you know, when a a 12 year old sees, you know, uh, 200 people moving their furniture back in while the police are evicting them, that 12 year old is going to make, start growing up and making a certain kind of art. Right. But so far the art that we have has come from a certain movement. Like I didn't just start saying what I'm saying just because I thought it was nice. You know, I probably would be doing something, rap, making some other kind of art if I hadn't actually been involved in a movement. So we have to create the movement that creates the artist, that creates the culture that we need. But it's not something, it's not like a ABC one, two, three sort of thing. It, it all has to happen at the same time. I agree. I agree. Um... Well, if it's going to happen at the same time, then I think people need to be having conversations with their homeboys and and wherever you are with your male 
friends and and comrades, I think those conversations need to be had. But at the same time, I do think certain aspects of culture do get perpetuated from the top down. Um, And, you know, we're probably never going to see that. And that's okay. But but yeah, I guess that was my my long winded answer for what I personally would like to see. And again, I don't want people to go away like, no, I'm not about to, you know, be for black liberation because, you know, black men pretty much do not step the fuck up in my personal opinion. I shouldn't generalize, but I am and I don't care. Um Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, but how, how are we going to achieve liberation? If, like, <laughs> I, mean, you're, I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't agree with you. Like, how, like, how can we, I can't agree with you more. Like, how can we achieve black liberation if, if it's not all black liberation? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what, that's <laughs> what it should be. That's what it is. It's, and, it's yeah. a collective, uh, you know, uprising for all of us, you know, for the purpose of existing in, in our fullest human capacity and shit. So if we can't even represent those examples in our own communities, um, it's, it's just going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to maintain and be waging two wars. Like it's counterproductive. Like women shouldn't have to be going up against y'all. We should just specifically be focusing on empire, you know, like wouldn't it? Oh my God, that'd be so nice if we could just, you know, take down one of the, one of the isms, if we could just take down one of them and, and like go from there. But, um, yeah, it it is something that is part, what needs to be part of a revolutionary agenda is that is never talked about. It's, It's never really talked about or addressed. It's always, it's always black organizers, black women, trans, women uh, organizers who are pushing the conversation through, who are the ones organizing specific marches and protests to to honor uh, trans women who have been murdered. It's just, it's never black men, it never is. Um, even in terms of social media posting, simple things, you know, people love to go and I and I do it, but I, I try to keep hold space for both, but folks will love to have their political post and, and you know, be explaining to their audience what these what these systems mean and, and breaking them down. And we can have like nuanced conversation about the Democrats and the Republicans and da da da. And and never it's rare that I will ever see um, a black person, a black man who has a, a pretty substantial platform willing to post a picture, an image of a trans woman who's been murdered just to just to continue to push and raise awareness or to have a conversation on their platform to be like, hey, I'm going to just take 30 minutes and 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 tweet out or or post a, a you know a little something that you can read about how I feel about what's happening to to these people these members who I love in my community. Um, I ne- think some ne- some of it just speaking honestly for myself, for instance. So we've been doing this mute pub as a public. I've been doing this as a public figure since early 1990s, and I often get got approached by groups being like. Man, why aren't you talking about black on black violence, right? Why this isn't black about- on this. I, no, I'm not, no, I'm I'm just, not framing this as black on black no, violence. Saying, I don't this, even believe in that. Yeah, this. So this is where I'm going with that. Is um, so, and at the time, I wasn't as aware of the lies about black on black violence, right? I wasn't as aware about you know because w- many of us believed it. What, what we know now is. In, for instance, in 1950, there was 50 percent more black on black violence than there is today. But it, and then in 1970, there was 75. It went up to 1970 and has been going down since 1970. But we all 
got raised on like movies like Colors and all this kind of stuff. And so I think people are trying to figure out how do you talk about these things? Not say people, I won't put it on, you know, like how me, myself, how do you talk about these things? Talk about them. No, I'm saying, how do you, I'm talking about the answers to it. How do you talk about the answers to it? Cause me, I'm always, you never see me bringing up a prop like, Oh, uh, you know, something without me feeling like so everything that you probably talk about, you've had, you have a, a configured I answer an idea of what I think is the answer. Right. I, I, it's, it's usually what I'm, what I'm talking about. Like, I'm never going to be like, black kids aren't learning math enough. Boom. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the hard, be- what's the hard answer about, about us not murdering members of our community? No, I'm not saying that I'm saying the, that, that, that's definitely not what I'm saying is that's not hard. The question is how do you know, cause what I'm involved in is building narratives, right? How do you know, and and for better or worse, you know, to, to greater or less success, you know, like I'm I'm involved in trying to build a narrative. And the the I think that I think that just putting up that this murder happened and needs to not happen, I say it's not enough. I would say it's not enough. I'd say it's a start. I say it's I say that's better than someone dying in the shadows. So maybe an, no. enough. It's not going to be enough until the murder stop completely, in my personal opinion, until until people are not being hunted. It won't be enough. But I think I think the erasure is um is a violence within yeah. itself, in my personal opinion. So um, here, here goes my thing. So this is the, the just being real. Here's the complicated thing. Then if you're saying these murders need to stop. Many people use that as a call for more police to stop those murders. So then, so then it's like, how do we do this on our terms? Yeah. You and know, so, I, think that, I think we have an opportunity. Like if we're talking about abolition, you know. But we're talking about, we're talking about uh, the, the murders that police have, have done, right? right? I don't really see calls for more police right now. When we talk about those murders, that's not what the conversation becomes. I think that's, I think that's unfair to just assume that people will immediately be like, well, if we center this narrative, it becomes about bringing in uh, more agents of the state. I think- And I'm not saying don't center the narrative. I'm talking about how you do it, right? Because a specific thing was brought up. People aren't even willing to post about it. It won't happen at all. (laughs) We can't even we can't even have a public discourse about it for real in a in a space where we're really engaging black men and bringing black trans women to the table to openly continue this this narrative. And and to be clear, even willing to to be clear, I've posted about stuff specific. No, this isn't. This is never. This is not. I'm just talking about a. uh, I'm I'm talking about, you know how this this and and that's why i connected it to how people were handling the black on black violence thing right because that ended up becoming one of the things that got the not, the crime bill passed right and 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 how it was talked about was just in terms of you know was in terms of these particular actions and here is something where i'm talking about it, i don't have an answer to it i'm just saying that i think when we're talking about it, we got to talk about what the answer to it is, because if you just do it, then that if you if you just say this happened and it shouldn't happen without being like, how do we hear some ways to stop it? You know, 
um, then I think you just then it then it sometimes just gets used as let's bring more police in and stop this thing. These folks are wild and they need to be tamed. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there are conversations that are happening. It's just men are not in them. Um, mm-hmm. And the feminists, the black feminists who are leading these conversations, it's never coming from that standpoint. I think we can't have a conversation that's that's going to usher in um, answers if we haven't even started creating an, an environment where we're where we're recognizing that this is fundamentally disgusting and mm-hmm. and, and and morbid and wrong. Um, and I think that just comes from conversation. Half the time when I'm talking to my niggas about police, we're not coming up with ways to dismantle capitalism. We're at least just just in a cathartic moment, understanding that this isn't right. Like this has to be changed. This is fundamentally not how we should be living. So I think let's step back away from like what the answer is. And let's just let's just have a general conversation where we're changing the, the, the norm, the normality of this of this happening and the and the silence around it. Um, I think I think that's a start. I think mm-hmm. shying away from it because we don't have a definitive um, res, you know, way to resolve it is just it's not. No, I don't think to shy away from it, but I think to specifically say that the answer isn't more police. Right. To specifically yeah. say I, that there that. are these other things to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't want more people. I'm never advocating for more people to be arrested, uh, especially black, brown, indigenous folks ever. But I cannot not say something about the fact that folks are being fucking killed. You know, no, no. I, I mean, it's also the same reason I don't you know, you don't see me talking about gun control and stuff like that, because it's really like what how are you talking about it? What does it mean? And what does what are what are what without giving a radical solution? It ends up being I wouldn't really equate those two, but I, I, I feel you. I definitely feel you. Um, I mean, like- and I, gun control. Here goes something that people will tweet about. Gun control laws end up just bringing more police and black folks are the ones that end up, you know, that end up just being arrested and in jail because of it. But it's it's a talking point that ends up happening. You know, and it's, it's not because it doesn't come from a problem, but how we talk about it is the the way that we make sure we get the radical change that we need. So that's all. Let's talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I you know, I've posted about these murders and it's specifically, I mean not these, but you know, I've posted about murders of uh trans women. But the uh I'm just saying that I think that we we say that that's enough but it's something that needs to be done in a in from a radical perspective of what the an, what what we think the answer might be or what the answer isn't you know it, it's so yeah and it sounds like you know no name you reference some conversations that are happening um and i want to you know i want to kind of um give it to you you know we can kind of leave on that note i i just wanted to like appreciate this whole conversation, but in particular, you know, the direction it took really is like no name is challenging us to expand because yeah. I, you know, what, what boots is, what, you know, what you're saying is real. Like there is so much, 
there's been so much invested to always try to redirect our conversations about our freedom back into reaffirming <laughs> the structures that oppress us. But we have an opportunity now to go further. And, you know, no name, I just appreciate that you're saying if we're going to go further, we have to go all the way further. Yeah, that's radical. That's that, radical. Yeah. Right. With, when I, and I feel, I mean, yeah, with, I agree with that. Folks at the center, you know, and I'll, I just want to get this in there before I give it back to you is I, I do believe there is um, an ongoing conversation on the left about oppression in general. Right. Um, you know, about racism and sexism and, and transphobia and hom- homophobia. And we know, though, we know who gets left out the most. Right. right? Folks, you're saying, you know what I mean? Like, tra- you know, trans women of color in particular, right. trans folks. folks. Yeah. Right. And and this conversation is like, I, I, you know, it, I all the time I hear, um, look, we'll we'll eventually we'll get to. Right. All who experienced these, these different forms of oppression, but for now we need unity. And that means let's get together on what we can all agree on. And so let's maybe not rock the boat by talking about. To be clear, that's experience. not what, that's right? not, to be clear, that's not what I was putting. Forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, no it's, it's clear where you stand, but I think this is, this is an issue on the left. And that's why I'm glad that, you know what I mean? Like b- both of you are grappling with how do we take this, as far as it can go, you know, and as far as it needs to go. So, you know, maybe um, I can I can give it to you to um, for the conversations that wh- whether it's existing conversations that you want to plug folks into, whether it's readings that folks can check out, you know, sure. how do we yeah, how do we take this further? Um, I I think for me, black feminism um, Black feminism has helped me a lot because I think what's beautiful about it is that it has um, it has a history in focusing on multiple um, levels of oppression at once. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the times um, because to, to be a black woman, you are already existing in in that what is the intersectionality of these different um ways that society has oppressed you. So the framework around that has always been attacking the the multitude of of you know isms that come under under capitalism um at the same time. Like to have to be able to hold space for both because I think if you're not able to do that then you're not really dismantling white supremacy in the way that you think you are. Um, and so that's at least how how I've been navigating my politics is just continuously challenging myself in every moment. And even if you don't want to go and read a bunch of black feminists, which I would highly suggest that you do, uh, the black radical tradition, just Google that and just read. Um, but would I you think, recommend authors in that black feminist pr- tradition. Um, probably like Audre Lord. Um, Angela Davis, I would recommend her work. I would recommend um, Our Prisons Obsolete. I would recommend Miriam Kaba. Uh, she is a like abolitionist organizer. She's amazing. Um, she just wrote a piece in the Times. She's incredible. I would recommend reading her work. Um, that's more so towards the abolition side. But even that, even thinking about abolition, I don't even think people even understand the context that this work has literally been refined and and pushed through by black feminists, like coming from black feminist theory, something as radical and, and you know, 
you know, kind of abrasive to society is abolition. Um, that's where that work is coming from. So me personally, if I am going to be a part of a revolution, I would rather be a part of a revolution that's led by that sort of a politic. Um, but that's, I would encourage people to tap in with that, uh, and, and to know that it's okay to not be right. Um, I'm wrong all the time. I'm constantly learning and relearning and unlearning. So, but we have to do the work, you know, like we actually have to be radical and it, and it hurts. <laughs> like it hurts to, to, especially like as a, you know, a public figure or whatever, like it really hurts to be, um, called out for, for the fuck shit that, that I've said. But at the same time, I know that I wouldn't be able to be an effective person in my community if I wasn't. And yeah, we not, we're not going to have a movement if there's segments of the, you know, our, our black community that are refusing, um, to, to stand in solidarity with the, with the full totality of the, of the fucking community, because they know that there's a likelihood they will be harmed in these, in these, in these moments. Um, and, and there's a community that does not stand with them truly. So if people are really for revolution, I don't think it's going to happen with, with a couple of us. Um, so yeah, read, read black feminists. <laughs> um, that's my, that's my little, my last thing to say. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Oh. We have, um, yeah, Sadia Hartman. Um, Am I yes. saying that right? Yes, yes. I, I'm just getting into her stuff. She's another one. Very difficult for me sometimes, but brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely brilliant for sure. Beautiful. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you both so much um, for, you know, just taking this time. You know, clearly um, people wanted this conversation. I, you know, the conversation that we ended up having to me was um, even more moving and, and um, urgent, I think, than what I anticipated having. So thank you both. Um, I know we got a, a Aja Monet is coming in with some poetry in, in, in uh, shortly at seven Uh-oh. o'clock. Eastern. Oh, okay. So um, okay. we have to wrap up. But let me let me um, before I close, just remind people Again, if you're in a position to make a donation, um, no matter how small, please consider giving to Haymarket Books into the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. Support our comrades um, in Atlanta. Uh, sign up for No Names Book Club um, and register for uh, register now for upcoming events with Katrina Johnson, Michael Bennett, Nikita Oliver, and Jesse Hagopian tomorrow, June 16th. And then Ibram X. Kendi and Dereka Purnell on June 18th on uh, Raising Anti-Racist Kids. Um, Once again, tune in tonight um, in just a few minutes for Homemade, an online poetry event for the people with Aja Monet. Starts at 7 o'clock Eastern, and the link will be posted again in the chat. Um, Thanks again to Mirabai Knight for doing live closed captioning. Incredible. Thank you to Haymarket Books, of course, for organizing this live stream and all these other conversations. Thanks to everybody who joined us on this call. And thank you both so much. And I want to say thank you to No Name for being being part of this conversation and just being really uh, brave in your taking hold of your own development and, mm. uh, and your own, and, and your own output and, um, and you're inspiring, you know, because of <laughs> it. so, uh, and, and I think, 
you know, even though you said your work you wouldn't call radical, I think it was it, it, the, the work you wouldn't call radical is, is very honest about yourself, mm-hmm. right? And uh, at least I think I have no idea you could. No, it is. It's different. It, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's honest. Yeah. And um, and I think that that is uh, an extension of what led you to where you are right now. So. I appreciate that. Um, I'm just I'm grateful that we were able to have a a pretty it got a little it got a little spicy, a little spicy. Conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that must have been like that medium spice for people. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful to be in, you know, this virtual community and yeah, I think hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do something like this again. Maybe, um, this was dope. I just, you know, like, I feel like in the chat, people were asking like, how do we, how do we challenge the people around us? And I feel like we were able to challenge ourselves in this conversation in this conversation facts so, yeah so talk talk to people is. talk to each other yes <laughs> word thank you both so much and thank uh, you be thank in you. touch everybody stay Perfect. safe you too. wash your hands wear a mask and uh let's abolish police hey all right oh yeah and trans liberation and women's liberation <laughs> let's go thank Bye-bye. you peace Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.